Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is uh, Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio, and I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I'd like to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere that it needs to be. One of the interesting uh, discussions that comes up with broadband as people get ready to roll these projects out is that within the industry, there is a fair amount of hype about broadband and gigabit cities and the media is often in love with Google and, and their networks that they're building and so forth. And that if you're in this um, bubble, as it were, you have a perspective that everybody's behind broadband and as soon as you announce that you want to have a uh, broadband network in your community or have a public-private partnership, I think that there is a sense of, well, everybody's going to be in favor of it, they're going to jump right on it and be ready to go. And I don't think that is always the case. And in fact, I think that for many communities, especially in uh, smaller communities, rural areas, and so forth, uh, the people who can benefit the most from broadband may not really have much of a, an idea of what uh, what this is all about. So I wanted to to look at this this topic of you know how do you make broadband real? How do you get people actually excited about a, a gigabit when they really don't even understand what a gigabit might be? So um, I invited uh, Robert Perry, who is a CIO for Davenport, Iowa, to come in. Uh, in, in large part because these guys are getting ready to do a uh, request for proposal for needs assessment. So they're at that beginning planning stage, and I figure who better to talk about some of these issues and challenges of getting, uh, you know, average everyday folks to understand and care about a broadband a network and what that might mean for them. So first off, Robert, thank you very much for being our guest today. Uh, thank you, Craig. I'm happy to join you and your listeners, and feel free to just call me Rob for short. All right. Well, in that case, Rob, uh, welcome to our to our our little gathering. Um, the issue of getting people to understand, you know, what broadband is about. Let's start with, um, you know, you've you've come up to this point where you're getting ready to do, um, or or you you actually have a process open. Uh, inviting folks to submit RFPs, but at the local level, what's the the level of interest um, or even understanding about what it is that you're that you're doing? Uh, certainly. Well, you know, and the, and the process really started uh, as in probably most communities uh, many many years before we get to this point where we're doing a, a request or proposal for this feasibility study. Um, and uh, as a lot of communities have, have done, we probably five, six years ago started uh, laying fiber throughout the community to build our own enterprise network, which, uh, again, we looked at three phases. The first phase was basically to connect our city facilities, um, which once that was complete, uh, that generated probably a $400,000 a year uh, savings um, from using the uh, other service providers which you know is a, is a good chunk of change clearly and uh, but beyond that it it gave us the opportunity to 
uh, increase our, our capacity and to do some things that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. The second phase really uh, included running our network and, and at least being aware of where we were running our network by key other key stakeholder institutions. So when we look at the hospitals, we look at the, uh, the higher education, we look at the uh, community school district, things like that. So we made sure that we kind of routed our network uh, into those areas as well as into some of our industrial parks and some of our other areas where we saw a lot of the economic development and, and future growth growth of the city. The third phase is which is where we're at, and, and that is to say, all right, at some point the question was going to come up, you know, should the city uh, leverage this network and, and either somehow partner with someone, get into the business as a utility, uh, or perhaps even uh, sell the network and, and bring in some other competitive providers in, in, into the area. And so that's really where we're at right now. And I think that feasibility study is designed specifically to kind of help um, us determine some of those, uh, those issues. But during those years, you know, it became clear because a lot of the businesses and a lot of the residents in the community started hearing that we had this, uh, you know, pretty extensive fiber network. So they really are the ones who kind of drove us a little bit sooner to this, to this step because you know, it was their interest, their desire from looking at what their current providers were providing them, what they wanted to do, uh, what their needs from their perspective uh, are. And, you know, they kept pushing a lot of the elected officials, you know, to, hey, the city needs to open up this network. How do we get onto this network? Things like that. And, and so it, it was kind of difficult for us in some ways to kind of hold back that level of interest and, 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 and excitement to because we, we really felt it was important to follow the, uh, the, the process that we had put in place because it, you know, even as you're aware and we've talked about before, is that you really have to get that stakeholder uh, input and, and, and really lay kind of, a, uh, I guess, a, a plan of what is it you're trying to achieve before you achieve something. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's exactly um, where we're at. So now, what was it that um, made folks aware? Because you said the initial network was obviously much lower key. It wasn't designed to be, you know, as we sort of envision the end product here. Um, but you were you were building a network with some limited um, focus, right, and, and capabilities. How did how did people hear that? You know, there was even fiber in the ground. Uh, well, so Davenport is part of what's called the Quad Cities. So it's it's uh, it's joined by the Mississippi River from Iowa and Illinois, and there's you know six seven different uh, uh, communities in the area. Now Davenport being the largest of that, so there's slightly over 400,000 people in the in the area. Davenport's just a little bit over 100,000 uh, of that. So a lot of the other communities were struggling and trying to do some things with. Um, business development and, and putting fiber in the ground and and uh, I think a few years ago uh, there were some stories being written about those communities and and you know what they were doing and what they had and unfortunately no one really knew you know and again it was on purpose uh, where Davenport was at in terms of building its 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 network because it really wasn't being built at the time and uh, to uh, be open to businesses or to residents and things like that. So uh, 
we we felt a need at that time to kind of respond, you know, to not let people think that hey, we weren't doing something uh, progressive in the, in that respect, and that we weren't thinking about this, and and this wasn't on our radar. So we actually kind of responded in a local newspaper and an editorial that kind of uh, defined not only that we had been doing this, um, but that if you looked at what we had put in the ground as far as fiber, that we had more fiber than all of the other communities combined. Uh, and I think that people were, you know, and rightfully so, because they they weren't aware, they were somewhat uh, uh, pleasantly surprised. And so I think from that has generated and continued to generate a lot of interest from a, a number of businesses. And And it was really not planned, um, because I, I would say that, you know, we're a large enough community that, you know, we have the typical, you know, uh, telephone company uh, providers, the cable company providers, there's some other uh, mid-level providers, and you would think that, you know, we're pretty well served in terms of them getting access to uh, broadband. Um, but, you know, it wasn't always uh, the case. Either they were in areas where those uh, incumbent providers um, weren't in or would not go into uh, without significant um, development costs for those businesses. Uh, they weren't either happy for whatever reason. So, you know, that even put the pressure on us a little bit uh, quicker to kind of, you know, start the conversation of, well, hey, what's, what's really being missed here? You know, what, uh, why are these businesses who you would think should be adequately served uh, why do they feel that they're not being adequately served? And sometimes, uh, even though perception tends to be reality, um, you know, I, I would talk with the incumbent providers individually, and I would talk to these businesses and find that there was really a disjoint in terms of the conversation, meaning that uh, you know maybe the incumbent uh, providers did not really understand what these businesses were looking for, um, or the you know, businesses didn't fully understand the service offerings of these companies. Now, whose fault is that? Well, you can say it's the incumbent providers in some ways because they, they should be out there marketing their, their products and they should clearly be talking to their businesses and their customers to know, you know, what is it that they need. Um, and that wasn't always happening. Um, I think it's happening a lot more now since they're aware of what our effort, you know, and by that I mean the incumbents, since they're they're aware of what our you know, our initiative is here now, they become a lot more focused on some of those businesses. So even indirectly, no matter what happens with any of uh, our network or this feasibility study, um, in the last few years, we've clearly seen um, positive improvements. Okay. So in some respects, it is a, um, well, it seems like there's two, there were two forces at work. I mean, one was you had a, a provider group, you know, whoever, all, all the companies providing services who were doing a poor job of uh, providing services. And then on the flip side, you had other communities that actually were uh, deploying <clears throat> um, fiber networks, well, just broadband networks, and people were hearing about other cities, and that was was having an impact on what people uh, wanted. Is that fair breakdown? Yes, I think so. And and, and again, I, I don't want to say that the incumbents, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, be unfair to them. But I think again, it's not that they weren't providing services, but uh, you know, they may not have been 
you know, clearly understanding what their customers were looking for or, or, or engaged in those kind of conversations with them. So uh, it wasn't that service wasn't available. I mean, in some cases it wasn't uh, in some areas, but, you know, a lot of the businesses felt, you know, the, the cost was too much uh, or, you know, they, they may have multiple branches so they could have great service in one area, but then they couldn't get it in some of their other areas, and, and clearly they wanted to be able to, you know, equally uh, communicate with those other um, <clears throat> branch locations. So I think that was part of the issue. Uh, so all of those all of those factors were were at work and 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 continue to be uh, at work here within our community. Mm-hmm. So if I am uh, you know stepping back from this and looking in, is it? Um, is it correct to say that there was a general all-around awareness that broadband was happening in other areas and people wanted it in Davenport as well, or was it more, I don't know, forward-thinking uh, businesses or individuals, you know, sort of a small subset of the community that was was cluing in that, you know, hey, broadband would be kind of good to have around here? Uh, yeah, I think it's more the latter because I think uh, what what I saw was a lot of these, uh, there's probably half a dozen uh, business owners that would, you know, repeatedly contact me, and 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 I'd sit down and have conversations with them, and you know, and they were uh, kind of um, advocating the case for the city to open up the network to them, so that they could, you know, um, you know compete. Uh, if they were if they were Davenport businesses, they needed to be able to you know compete and grow their businesses, and they felt that they were being uh, limited from what was currently being provided to them. So, um, and from there, you know, we we started some other conversations with some representatives at the the chamber. Uh, keep in mind, not every business you know typically belongs to a chamber in a community, so you, you can't just say that you know they're the only they're the only uh, voice in in or stakeholder in the game, but, you know, there are clearly a lot of other businesses that um, we wanted to reach out to as well. So I think it was probably oh, four months ago we uh, did a, a basic uh, economic impact study where we hired someone, they came in, we spent a few days, we, we, we sat down with some of these key stakeholders, uh, the hospitals, education, institutions, uh, businesses, Clearly, the city officials and things like that, and 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 gathered you know some of that information to help us decide: did we want to go to this next stage with this feasibility study? So, if we have this asset, uh, or the city has this asset in the ground, um, you know, how do we best leverage that? And and do we want to do anything more with it other than you know just provide services to uh, the government institutions? Now, we also um, over the years, have have you know sold some some of the dark fiber to uh, other uh, government institutions. So we have you know in Iowa the Department of Transportation. Uh, we have the ICN, the Iowa Communications Network. Um, we have you know uh, some of the colleges. You know, so we we're, we're not really in the business. We're not providing internet service to them, but we provided them access to fiber uh, that allowed them to, uh, you know, certainly reach some of their goals. 
So we know that, uh, and, and of course with them out there talking about it, that's you know uh, gathering more interest in input from from the community as well. Mm-hmm. So the before this year, the the outreach to the community was. Um, I guess say limited to those folks who were actively engaged with pushing the city to open up its network. Um, for other communities, does that signify that uh, the way to start is to find the people in the greatest with the greatest needs because they will be the folks that when you sit down with them. Uh, they will need the the least amount of educating and persuading and so forth and so on. You know, perhaps I think every community has has got to look at themselves uh, uniquely because they're going to have their own um, unique qualities, their own culture in terms of the government, the businesses, the community. I mean, if you look at some of the things, I mean, for example, Davenport over years, we've I believe it. You know, the city uh, elected officials have been very progressive in trying to come up with different programs. You know, four or five years ago, we we did a program called the Davenport Promise that went to vote. And what that was designed to do was to say, look, if you uh, if if your your kids graduate from uh, Davenport High School, uh, so they would get twenty thousand uh, dollars provided to them uh, for their college education. Uh, similar to Kalamazoo, I believe that was a program, but that was uh, privately funded here. It was kind of private government funding. Um, and, you know, the voters voted it down. They didn't feel they wanted uh, taxpayer dollars involved in that. So, again, the, the elected officials trying to um, recognize that education is a key factor to uh, the survival of the community and, and, and certainly to the life of the community. Uh, you know, we had the similar situation not too long ago about the casino. We had a uh, riverboat casino on the Mississippi that was not, you know, um, fulfilling its obligations per se, and, and revenues were being lost. Uh, and so the city, you know, tried to get someone else to come in and, and take over management of that and, and, and was not able to do that. So they pursued trying to, um, you know, take that and, 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 and have the city own that casino and put it on the land as most of these casinos have gone and done very well, um, and, and the community kind of didn't feel that the city, you know, should be in that. And so it turned out that someone else did come in and buy that license and is now developing that. So it, it, it started a lot of conversations. So broadband, I think, with the, with the council and the elected officials right now, I think they recognize uh, it is very important. The difference in this one is that it's really being driven by the community versus you know, those other uh, initiatives I mentioned were kind of being um, offered down from the uh, city officials and the elected officials trying to convince and educate the community and bring them along. Much harder arguments. It's kind of like any time you try to invent something. You've got a great product, that's great, but if the demand and the market isn't driving you to invent that, it's a lot harder sell. We clearly see that this broadband initiative is is quite the opposite. It is being pushed and driven, um, you know, both directly and indirectly by the community. And I think that the elected officials and city administration is reacting uh, very appropriately and quickly to, um, you know, take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So, 
you have a, a you know a, a definite grassroots effort, and if you look at a number of the communities that have networks that are uh, successful, they they do have a similar uh, level of grassroots effort. I mean, I think that the 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 common or if I if I stay within the context of the uh, you know the the title for this session, you know, getting folks excited. It's maybe the better phrase would be you harness those folks with the greatest need and have them uh, and then direct their you know enthusiasm so that other people hear about it and learn about it. Um, say as opposed to trying to identify a group and then doing the sales pitch, uh, maybe we just say you know if, if we've got these businesses, this school, uh, this organization, you know they readily understand the need. Um, they're totally on board. They think we should be doing more. Then you, you basically want to try to um, harness and direct that so that you are getting more folks in the trenches to to buy into it. Because I am guessing, and you can tell me if this is true or not, but I'm guessing that um, it is easier to have folks in a you know in the business community or whatever other part of the community. Uh, educate others in their community and get them revved about the network than it is for you know you as the city to go in and get those people uh, up to speed you know the rest of the constituents up to speed on broadband yeah and I think that's true and I and I think there's a little bit of all those elements at play here I mean on, on one hand I think that uh, you know we're we're reacting to um, you know that element of the community that is aware that we have something um, that the potential is there to uh, take advantage of that and do more with it, and, and, and certainly that would help them in, in, from their perspective. And then there's there's other parts of it that there's always that outreach that you know that doesn't understand. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the internet and broadband and the rest of that, you know, uh, as we all know, is certainly more than just checking your email or checking Facebook. You know, I mean, you know, as a as a senior citizen, you can't apply for Social Security without going online. Why, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 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 many other types of services like that. So when we look at our libraries, and you know, we had our downtown library, and we we built two uh, other remote branches uh, of the library in the community, all with huge, you know, um, computer centers, and and they're constantly full. And I bet, you know, since those have been built in the last few years, I mean, we've we've had to expand. You know the uh, um, the bandwidth in all those facilities probably three, four, five times, just because you know the demand and need is there. So, so there's at that aspect of the community that also needs to be uh, educated, and and you know you have to develop programs around that, that that's going to help them understand it. And then the other spectrum is clearly the ones that are kind of dragging us and saying, hey, you know we you know this is important to us. You know we we have a business here in the community. Um, you know, we're trying to grow. Uh, we're competing on a global basis. It's not just a, you know, other cities, you know, within Iowa or the region or the United States. You know, I mean, these are these are global businesses that that are in need of uh, these types of services. And and so, you know, it's a tough question. Does it, is it, is it the city's obligation um, to you know help resolve those issues? Uh, is it the city's obligation to uh, help orchestrate the conversation? Uh, or is it the city's obligation to say, you know, that's you know private industry. We, we you know that's not our market. Uh, one, we, you know, we can't fund these kinds of things. Uh, as everybody knows, every community is you know you know financially struggling these days. 
Um, but, you know, I, I, my personal feeling is I, I think that the city has to, you know, stand up and, and, and take a leadership role in it. That doesn't mean that they or we kind of uh, ultimately make those decisions. I think the stakeholders in the community themselves have to do that. Uh, one of the things I've, I've found is we start having these even small conversations about different topics. You get these different people involved. You know, you get the executives from the hospitals or you get the, you know, the colleges or you get the, the community school district or you get different businesses, you know, whether it's manufacturing or finance, uh, software development, whatever it is. And they get in these rooms and we have these small conversations about something. All of a sudden, you know, they're starting to talk among themselves about other things. And next thing you know, I mean, it's like, it's like they've just kind of met them, you know, each other, and and uh, and and that has generated a lot more um, creative uh, ideas that is helping to promote uh, the benefits of what um, you know a community broadband would do for us, and 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 that's something the city we can't we we don't know what that is, you know. I mean, that's something they have to kind of determine. Um, but if we can act as that catalyst, which I think is a great role and position for us, and if we can help leverage this infrastructure that uh, the community has already invested in and paid for, um, to me, I think that just makes sense. Mm-hmm. By the way, um, in your case, you guys have built a network that's being used for uh, city purposes. Do you think that um, if I look at cities on the just beginning to kind of deal with this, you know, inspired maybe in large part by the hype around them, is it any easier, better, you know, more advantageous to have a, a city government fiber network built first and then you show people how to link to that? Or are we at a stage where that's, you know, needs to happen in tandem with getting something to show, you know, something being built for the community at large? You know, I, I think if you look at when we started this six, seven years ago, I think that's kind of, you know, the process that we were at. So I guess I don't think that's just the only way of doing it. And, and maybe nowadays it's probably, um, even if a community hasn't, uh, put its own infrastructure in place to, for its own benefits. Uh, I wouldn't say that you have to do that first before you jump into this whole concept. Uh, and, and, and frankly, I don't think they can wait. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. how someone can can do that. You don't have the luxury of five, six more years, from my perspective or in my opinion. Uh, but when we did it, it was just that was kind of the, the you know uh, it was the era. You know, prior to that, ten years plus ago, you we all remember. You know these businesses coming into these communities and, and wanting to put in these wireless, you know, networks and, and and all they wanted from the city was you know access to their you know the franchise rights to get the right of ways and things like that. Uh, and and you know we saw where a lot of those went. They didn't. They weren't successful um, because mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't a working model. And it took it took many of those um, uh, communities to kind of show us that. So then it kind of, there was this lull and then everybody's saying, wow, you know, fiber's dead and, you know, it's all, it's all mm-hmm. going wireless. And, and, you know, eight, seven, eight years ago, we did a, a, a YMAX pilot project here in the Quad Cities with uh, Raytheon and went through that same, uh, scenario. And, 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 you know, that, that didn't pan out to what we wanted it to do. 
uh, it certainly did from a from a city services standpoint, from a sub- public safety perspective, and, and and some of the things that we could offer, it was great. Um, but to try to feed, you know, the, the demands of broadband through wireless uh, technologies at the time, um, and of course that was pre, you know, Netflix and Hulu and 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 all Facebook and all these other things that are just draw, you know, driving the capacity demands. Uh, so now it clearly has to be a hybrid approach. You're going to have to have wireless. You're going to have to have fiber. Um, so, uh, boy, if we were if we were just talking today and didn't have this infrastructure, I would say we'd still be going through the same thing. We'd still be saying, you know, we have a community. We need to do something here, whether it's with the incumbents um, or whether we build it ourselves. I think we would still be going through the same uh, feasibility study. Mm-hmm. It just happens so, uh, that we have the luxury of having the infrastructure in place right now. Mm-hmm. Does your um, uh, I don't know, RFP, uh, which I have to admit I have not read uh, other than the initial page, um, does your RFP include um, education as part of the needs assessment process and 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 what kind of prompts that is that I've spent some time in Colorado at, at a conference recently and there is a lot of activity amongst a lot of cities uh, towns and so forth in Colorado and um, and and a number of them are the traditional what I call traditional RFP you know there's the uh, you know we need to do some level of education but we also we you know, need to do a technology inventory and uh, we've got to you know figure out the, the engineering design and we've got to do some financial projections and all of that but then there was one particular RFP that stood out because it was primarily about educating. I mean, it was heavily focused on, you know, we kind of have an understanding that we need this, but we need greater education to then crystallize our plan, which I thought, huh, well, okay. Uh, and, And maybe that is the lay of the land, where maybe some of these things need to be more heavily weighted toward education than you know, needs, uh, you know, gathering that sort of needs assessment per se. I mean, how, how would you look at that? I mean, is, is there, a, you know, do you guys have a heavy emphasis on education as part of the needs assessment process, or is it, you know, gathering data on what people need and want and will, are willing to pay for it? Well, and that's a good point. I think the education, now, we don't specifically address that or make that its own kind of uh, – uh, deliverable per se in this RFP, it's it's kind of fed through some of the categories uh, where we're requesting certain services. Um, but uh, again, it, and I'm just speaking for myself here, is that uh, yeah, I believe the building the infrastructure and the technology nowadays is 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 you know 10 to 20 percent of this the effort. You know, the 80 percent. Is really back into the you know the programs and the initiatives and and that's where I think the city you know can really um, play a role in helping to um, do those kinds of things do the outreach do the education um, create these kind of programs so for example you know we want to create these innovation centers so where they're going to be connected to you know the fiber and have gig access and and with that we want to work with the local uh, schools, the community schools, and, and the colleges to develop programs for students per, perhaps to come in and, and then tie them into some of the hospitals 
who would say, hey, you know, we want to do some in-home healthcare types of services, and now if we have, you know, fiber to the home or broadband uh, communications to, to the homes in, in, in Davenport, uh, what kinds of services could we take advantage of and, and applications would we want to develop? And perhaps they can, you know, have these creative contests uh, with these students and say, all right, here's a general idea. We're looking to do X, Y, Z uh, for this type of service for in-home health care and let them go and, and at these innovation centers and, and, and create some of these applications. So it, 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 it kind of feeds the whole side of, of you know, the, the end result is that you've, you're developing a product and you're improving uh, um, people's lives within the community uh, from, from the standpoint of health care in homes. Uh, down to you're engaging, you know, the education element and giving these uh, these these kids an opportunity to participate in in actually using the technology to um, create an end result and see what that end result is. So it, it it helps kind of feed all of that. So that is important, and I think that's where the city, uh, you know, would be best spending our time, which kind of gets back to do we really want to be in the business of owning you know, managing and operating our own network. Well, you know, if you're doing that, then, you know, your efforts, your time, your energy, your 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 your, your dollars are being spent there versus this other side on the education and the outreach, uh, which is where I think the biggest, you know, benefit is going to be. Mm-hmm. How, how has that um, strategy approach uh, have has has that been um, embraced by your I don't know your city council the government the government structure I don't know if you guys well and, yeah ahead. and that's why that's why I I was very clear in saying I'm speaking for myself on that yeah, one so right. you know uh, but you know what I think uh, to some degree you know we've had those conversations and and I think that uh, lots of different ideas have been thrown out through the process. And that's naturally going to happen, you know. Everybody has, you know, people may say, well, I, I think this is the, the the correct business model that we need to have. And, and I think this is the, the, you know, the right, you know, uh, stakeholder group that's going to, you know, make this successful and all that. Well, really, we're trying to avoid all of those at this point in time and saying, look, everything's on the table. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that's, the conversation that we're still in, and and I think that's why you have to do this process or this feasibility study, where um, and it's not just the feasibility in the sense of saying, all right, how, how you know feasibility says, well, how do we financially, you know, make something work, and which model is going to, you know, uh, you know, be the most successful for us, versus kind of also saying, hey, we're doing an analysis of our broadband. Um, uh, needs within the community, and 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 the incumbent carriers are clearly key stakeholders in that. And and I think too many communities, unfortunately, uh, uh, forget them in that process. So that's why we've we've been very careful in reaching out to all of those providers, having conversations with them, letting them know what we're doing, keeping the communications open, and and not saying that hey, we're just going to go. You know, they know we have this infrastructure in place, uh, but not saying, hey, we're just going to go and finish the last mile ourselves, and now we're mm-hmm. going to become a you know a competitor of yours, because I don't believe that's you know that is necessarily the answer, and we clearly don't know that that's the answer. But on the other hand, 
we're certainly going to require these carriers to step up to the table because in the end what we're going to say from this study is this is what the community uh, looks like, this is what we need, this is what we want going into the future, and if you can provide it, then tell us that. If you can't provide it, we're going to do it a different a different way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, in terms of the uh, you know the participation of the providers in in this kind of a process, how open are they? I guess to the education side. And, and let me give this a little bit of context. So I have done a number of these kinds of, of projects, and including one in the state of Iowa uh, with the, the, the city of Batumwa. And in other communities, you know, as recent even as, say, two years ago, you would open that door for the incumbents to come in and talk about what they want to do, what they can do, and all the rest of it, and in some respects to have an educational role, you know, because you've got constituents on one side, and except for the most engaged segment, you know, tiny portion of that constituency, you know, the, the, by and large, they're not really aware and following the discussion. And then on the flip side, you have incumbents. Now, granted, there is unhappiness maybe with those incumbents, but they have that opportunity to nevertheless be part of the process of, educating folks about the role and, and where broadband would be important and why and so forth. And a lot of communities, and myself included, weren't able to get those providers to the table. In 2014, you know, in, in your neck of the woods, has this, you know, reluctance to even be part of the discussion fading, or do you find that there's still a fair amount of resistance from providers to join this discussion uh, in Davenport, what, what's what's the lay of the land in that regard? Well, and that's that's a good point. And so, not, and not just in the the category of education, but in in other aspects of of them thinking, how can they partner with a community and things like that. So, you know, a few years ago, you, you know, and we've been at these conversations with them for four years, you know, and at one point we were saying, hey, you know, uh, we don't want to build our own network, we don't want to do anything, but we want to maybe become a wholesaler because we think that it's important for every household in the community to have access, and they should not be limited from a financial perspective. And so what if the city uh, became the customer and, and, and we do the billing, but we, we're buying in bulk from you, and, and, and so however we want to do it, either we're going to provide it to them free because we, we'll subsidize that, um, through the taxes or whatever, however we do that, or we charge it, you know, at a, at a minimal cost. Um, and they were, you know, they were open to those conversations, you know, but those conversations have gone on for years. So on one hand, I think they're like the deer in, you know, in the headlights. I mean, they, they realize uh, the, uh, the landscape is changing. Um, they're limited, I believe, in, in terms of, you know, their infrastructure and their network. I mean, it's, you know, in many cases, it's older technology, and in a lot of cases, they're trying to upgrade that, but they've only got so much money to do that, and, and they have only have certain places where they can do that to get that return because they're bound by their, you know, their stockholders and earning a return. And, and, and you know, cities 
communities, we're not really per se necessarily just interested in that because we, we, we feel we have to provide a community good and the benefit of this kind of technology or this utility far outreaches just what you, you, know, you generate in revenue on a monthly basis. But that's not their goal. But I do see that changing. And, and, and the conversations that we've had with them. So, yes, on the educational side, they, they have programs in place where they will come in and help do that. They will, they will um, provide services through the, through the libraries. They're asking us to provide locations, which we're, you know, we're happy to do, and, and, and let them promote some of that. They have programs for uh, you know, um, lower-income families uh, and students to uh, pay less for basic services and, and even to get access to computers because it doesn't do any good to have, you know, connectivity at home if you don't have a device to, to you know, use it on. And now that may be changing because everybody's running around with smartphones. So, um, so I do see that. Uh, but the biggest change I see is even in these conversations of, you know, how can we leverage our networks and, and is there a way to do that? And, and so they are uh, recognizing that their choice of either saying, no, we need to be the only provider or the city goes and does something else uh, or introduces another provider to, you know, for, to create competition, uh, uh, they're more open to kind of a blended approach. Whether or not they can get to that point and looking at that, we're going to find out in the end because that's part of what our feasibility is, you know, is, is um, uh, supposed to do is to look at the incumbents and have those conversations and continue to have those conversations, you know, to say, is that an option? Because um, clearly they've, they've made millions of dollars of investment in their infrastructure here. Does, does mm-hmm. that mean they're going to make millions more to come in and, and, and put fiber to every uh, premise? I mean, we have between homes and businesses, we have 50,000 points of premise here. And, and, and so, you know, I, I don't know. They're going to have to answer that question, but we're going to get there one way or the other. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Let's start talking keywords here. And what I mean by that is um, when I have a general population that um, doesn't understand, you know, a gigabit from a two-by-four, there is a big issue of how do you educate them about technology that is severely complex and for the most part boring stuff i mean really when you when you when you think about it this is not cocktail conversation um but at the same time like i said i've got this mission i've got i've got to bring these people along um are there words are there phrases are there i don't know certain types of stories what is it that helps people you know helps the light go off in people's minds that, you know what, this is a good deal, you know, this is something we should be doing, and more importantly, this is something that the city government should be doing. Because, you know, some people take a dim view on government having an active role in this whole thing. But, but what are some key words that move people out of that, you know, that's, you know that darkness into the, the light, as it were, when it comes to broadband? Well, jobs is one. I mean, you know, if... People want to, you know, become employed and things like that. I mean, go go try to uh, apply for a job that you don't have to do it online anymore. Um, I, I think applications in general. I mean, most people again are walking around with their smartphones. Um, you know, it's outpacing a lot of other, you know, uh, initiatives in terms of uh, landline uh, 
uh, growth. I mean, you know, wireless broadband is just going crazy, and particularly even in Iowa, in the rural areas. So uh, people, I think, see that. I don't, I don't necessarily see as much, at least around here, um, trying to convince people uh, that they, they need access to that. I think they realize that. Uh, you know, the consumer is always going to drive, um, you know, that, com- that capacity demand and, and, it, and it, you know, in many cases the infrastructure, you know, hasn't been able to keep pace. And that's one advantage with fiber. I mean, fiber had the, has the, the, the ease of uh, keeping pace with that, uh, with that demand uh, as these as these applications, because most of these things that are being used today, nobody really ever thought about years ago. You know, they just kind of mm-hmm. happen. And and you know, now we're doing you know over the top video. You know, um, you know Netflix, thirty percent of you know internet capacity. I mean, who you know who would have ever thought that? I don't think anybody did. You know, and certainly the network engineers when they when they kind of build all these things never thought that that was what's going to happen. So. Um, so I don't know that uh, there's really specific things that we, uh, you know, need to do. I think where we can educate people and, and talk to them is again back to um, recognizing that you know this is how this is how you're going to get jobs in the future. This is how you're going to communicate uh, from an education standpoint. I mean, in Iowa, there's a lot more you know remote distance learning taking place and. Uh, you know, you have businesses. People go to a business. Well, they may ha- maybe they have, you know, high-speed internet at, at home, and and they they work from there. But then they go back to their homes, and in a lot of cases in Iowa, that you know, these even around Davenport, I mean, they're smaller communities. Well, if they don't have that same kind of bandwidth and capacity, you know, they're not happy because they think it should be uh, ubiquitous. It should be everywhere. And, you know, that's the importance of, you know, I think having this kind of capacity even at, at people's homes because they, you know, they, that's what they think. Everywhere they go, just like wireless, it should work. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular analogy that works, you know, particularly well with getting people to, you know, cross into the light of understanding? Um, well, I don't know about that. We were, I was working on a uh, putting a cell tower in one of our city parks not too long ago and uh the uh, certain residents that lived near the park uh weren't real happy and they uh gathered around the contractor and and stopped him from continuing to do the the build and so we we met with a lot of those folks out there and uh you know they uh you know and sure you know you, you, you you don't think that you want to look at a cell tower um, per se, but when you start talking to them and, and said, all right, everybody here, you know, there's 50, 60 people, who, who doesn't have a cell phone on them right now? And nobody, you know, nobody raised their hands. And who, who, who doesn't use that for, you know, every day and for all these services? And, of course, they clearly understand that. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a trade-off in saying that, hey, you know, we, we want, you know, we want this technology, we want these devices, um, but there's, you know, there's an effort to make those work, and um, you know, and, and that's just cell towers. I mean, that's just an example. And when you talk about, you know, fiber to the homes, that's going to be kind of the same concept, I think, for people. Um, you know, if they if they want to drive video into their homes and everybody's sitting in their homes and they're all on their, you know, wireless smartphones, 
um, you know, it's not like, you know, years ago when you put the, com- you know, the computer in the living room and, and, you know, the kids took turns, you know, working on it and the parents got to watch them. I mean, those days are gone. So the multi-device household is, is a uh, thing that can, can bring this into focus for people. Well, I think it's the multi-device. I think it's, uh, you know, everybody is, uh, you know, uh, it's like the television. I mean, you know, in the days when not every home had a television and you, people used to go and gather around the one person in the neighborhood that, you know, had a TV. And, you know, now we all have multiple TVs. You know, and we're and the technology changes, and we're constantly every three, four, five years, we're getting new TVs, you know, to keep pace with it. So I, I think we're at that same point now with these types of devices, with these services, with these applications, um, that people just expect the infrastructure, uh, or in this case, in a sense, the highway, to to be available and accessible to everybody, uh, and that it just magically makes it happen. Well. You know, it doesn't. I mean, if you look at wireless, I mean, it's that's why, you know, you've seen all these companies going around and putting up more towers in communities because, you know, the, the spectrum is limited and, and the physics says you can only do so much. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to put more infrastructure in place, you know. And, um, you know, people don't understand that, but they just expect their devices to work. So when you look at putting more towers in a community and somebody says, hey, we don't want any more towers, you know, whether in a park or it could be anywhere, um, but the reality is when they drive around, they're there all the time and they don't even notice them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's, you know, it directly affects them, then, 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 you know, they think, oh, okay. But when you say, look, it's, if you don't have that tower, you don't have your phone, it's not, it's not working. And they understand that trade-off. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that's, that's definitely um, progress. And I think that, um, you know, one of the worries – you know, I've been in the technology industry for, you know, a, a couple of decades and then some, and it's always, to me, a, this, this struggle to find the perfect analogy, to find the perfect um, phrase that just doesn't sound like a cliche that sums up, uh, you know, what, what it is that we're talking about. I mean, someone... Uh, a previous guest on the show mentioned that, you know, the information superhighway was the best, you know, three words to describe the Internet and that everybody could, in their mind, say, oh, that's what we're building here. That's what we're doing is we're getting on this, you know, this, this superhighway. And I think that broadband, in some respects, struggles with, you know, finding that perfect analogy to make it so that when you when you explain it to people, again, you know, beyond the the core stakeholders, um, when you when you start to explain it to them, especially when it involves work, you know, when it uh, involves resource commitment by the the local governments, that kind of thing, you know, you just need something that'll that'll make it instantly clear to people. Um, both what it is and why what it is has value, even if it's by inference, you know, versus. Um, yeah, and and I and I you know I, I know what you're saying, and I don't know that I've ever come up with the right one. But I, the the only way I think of it when when I talk to some people sometimes is I think about it in terms of just uh, future proofing your community, because that's really what we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. and 
and you know, and that you know, it's like they always talk about the, the three-legged stool or this or that. But you know, it's not just about the infrastructure, um, but it's about you know the education, the quality of life, the social programs. It's all those kinds of things that are all part of this and and economic development and and though this these are the challenges that communities have in terms of trying to um you know it's not just about necessarily growing their communities anymore it's about just being able to survive and and so when you think about that uh you know you can tread water but if you really want to think about how you're going to grow advance uh improve the quality of life um, you're really talking about future-proof in your community. So, you know, cities, you know, the old days developed and built around, you know, rivers and, and, and you know, and then the rail, and, you know, and then you had to have electricity, and, and people went, then you had to have jobs and manufacturing, and, and that's where people went. Well, you know, broadband's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's where people are, you know, they, they're going to go because um, they expect it. And... Um, you know, it is it is in a sense the last frontier of utility that a community really has to address, uh, and that's always that's the question I think too on the political aspects of you know is it the business for the city to be in or do we leave it to private you know industry to 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 do that and I, and I think the reason that you're seeing more communities saying that it's something whether they want to be in that business they want to have some kind of uh, control over. Uh, that destiny because they realize that it's it 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 has so much to do with shaping the future uh, proof of that community in terms of being able to drive uh, you know the economic development the quality of life and things like that and and you know if you just leave it to private industry as we've seen in the past we don't always have that choice we can't control mm-hmm. the pricing we can't control whether or not every home is going to be uh get access because you know they're going to say well we're going to go to the community we're going to go to the areas where people can afford it they're going to pay the most we're going to go to the most dense areas because we're getting a you know we're getting a quicker payback on our infrastructure and yeah we we know that we see these other areas over here and unfortunately you know it doesn't the business model doesn't fit well the city says that business model still does fit because we need to help those people and and you know having access to broadband is you know just like healthcare and you know public safety and you know education those are all important aspects that that we need to address and and so that's you know so again can you take what the city's uh purpose and objectives are and you look at what you know the incumbent carriers objectives and 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 purpose is and somehow combine those into a hybrid approach Maybe. I mean, I I clearly think that that we're going to figure that one out here before we, you know, uh, jump into this game full steam ourselves. Mm-hmm. So now we've got about five minutes left. So let's let's do a sort of a summary kind of question. Then, do you think that the phrase you know building a broadband network is future proofing your community? Does that phrase? have power does it have resonance i mean do, 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 can, can someone i mean from your experience of using it does that matter to people do they do they buy into that phrase no well i i would hope so i know i do because it's 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 really what you think about i mean if you look at the history of the midwest and there's a great book out there by i believe uh richard longworth and and you know uh called caught in the middle 
you know, the Midwest surviving in the global age. And, and if you look at the Midwest, again, which is where we're at, uh, you know, it, it, you know, at one point it was the largest, you know, you know, manufacturing segment, you know, in the world, and certainly the United States, and we had all this industry, and people came here to do things, and you know, we had, you know, in Newton, Iowa, you had Maytag appliance, and all these people, you know, and everything was centered around that one industry, and when those industries disappeared, and 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 the communities realized, you know, they didn't have any control over that. Okay, because somebody decided that, hey, we're closing that down because we need to be more competitive. We're going to take the plant elsewhere. We just went out of business. And, and, and the community is kind of left holding the bag of, you know, what do we do? Um, and, and so in this case, when you talk about future-proofing your community, you're talking about, uh, I believe, uh, limiting the exposure to those types of situations, um, you know, having a little more... Uh, influence and control, uh, and and to be more adaptable about how to how to survive those kinds of situations, and and you know, and and growing the community. I mean, I think we have to look beyond just trying to survive because even if a lot of those communities were surviving, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, um, that's all they were doing is treading water. You know, they'd create these industrial parks and they would say, well, we got a tech center. Well, okay, that 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 alone doesn't really do much. Um, so that's why I think it has to be, you know, when you talk about broadband, and you, it, it, it has to be more than just saying it's, you know, it's delivering, you know, bits and bytes, you know, over fiber or whatever. It's really how do people use those? You know, how do you help businesses uh, take advantage of that, uh, look at what they're doing, grow their business, uh, future-proof themselves to be able to compete on a global level because that's where we're all at today. And um, you know, and it's you can't be you can't be a singular uh, industry in a community anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that will prove uh, that will prove interesting. And, you know, I will be following uh, you know developments as they break. There, I've written recently about uh, the broadband history and the and evolving history of Cedar Falls. Uh, Iowa, not to be confused with Cedar Rapids as I was earlier before we started the show. Um, but with with these uh, developments in Iowa, I know that there's uh, a lot of talk in the state legislature and so forth. So it seems that Iowa is uh, very much focused on uh, getting more and better broadband in. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out in the next 6 to 12 months. And uh, it will probably provide additional education points for the rest of the community. And so, you know, thank you very much, Rob, for for spending this time and explaining what's going on there uh, in Davenport. And, uh, you know, best of luck as you continue to move this ball forward. Very good. I'm happy to have joined you. And, uh, yep, we'll we'll see how this all, uh, all plays out in the next six months for sure. Good deal. And to our audience, thank you very much again for listening in. We're going to be back soon with more great, interesting guests and programs, so uh, stay with us, and we'll talk more again soon. Take care. Have a great day.